Greetings and welcome to Polson Foursquare Church. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I'm happy that you've joined us today. This year of 2023, our focus is Together on Mission. In our teaching throughout this year, we will talk much about how we are all called to be a missional church and a missional people. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 are our theme verses that speak about being a people of prayer and of preparedness and how we are to go out and be witnesses to those around us in our everyday life. So today as we study God's word together, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you through these messages and pray that you'll be blessed by our podcast teachings and that you'll be edified and enriched in God's word. Thank you and may God bless you all. A family memorial last week over in Washington with my family. Um, it was a blessing to be able to uh, uh, then baptize a couple of my nephews that wanted me to baptize them. So that was, that was uh, uh, precious. That was a, a blessing to be able to do that as well. Um, today we're going to be, if you have a Bible, the Bible's in the seats there, you can grab one. Uh, we're going to read from Romans 11. We've been going through, can you turn me up a little bit? Uh, Romans 11. And uh, I want to thank Andrew, uh, Andrew for preaching out of chapter 10 last week. Uh, we've been going through Romans all year, and he did a great job. I want to thank John for leading worship. He did a great job. Thank you both. Um, and if you read much of chapter 10 in Romans, uh, it's about the message of salvation. Salvation comes by faith through hearing, hearing through the word of God. We see in verse 17. Now looking back from about 17 through 21 is uh, Paul writing this message of God's word. It has gone out into all the world. And uh, Israel, it says, has rejected it. So the message about Christ, the message about the Messiah which is obviously what Israel, even to this day, is still uh, seeking, says that they have rejected that, uh, as a whole, that is. And so Paul quoted this from uh, Psalm 19, verse 4. He said, as the proof that the word of God, the gospel, went forth, and Israel actually did hear it. They heard that message uh, and so it actually makes them now more accountable, having heard it, for their rejection of this good news. And so Paul goes on to mention, and he mentions about Moses uh, and also the prophecy of Isaiah. So Moses also had told Israel that God would bring others close to him and make them jealous. The people of God would become jealous because of that. Yet Israel ignored that word also, making them more accountable. Now, the, Paul also quoted Isaiah, a bold statement he made in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1, that God would be found by those who did not seek him and was revealed to those who did not ask for him. And so this prophecy to Israel was a warning, obviously, to make them more accountable but they ignored that also. Now, maybe that describes some of your own testimony. Have you, did, 
before you put your faith in Jesus, did you ignore the gospel? Did you reject that? Did you say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus? Is that anyone's testimony in here? But finally, one day that you finally did say yes to Jesus? Well, I hope that's true. Uh, but how did you come to faith in Christ? How did you make that final decision? Are you looking for God or for answers, or do you see how God pursued you? He came after you. He came looking for you, and you, you realized that. You finally came to that conclusion. Or when you come to the end of yourself, like that song we sang, that you finally come to the end of your running away. Maybe you were the prodigal son type of story that you ran far away and you finally came to your senses. Or maybe you were the one that stayed home that still missed the father's love. Maybe either one of those two in that story in Luke 15. But um, maybe you weren't even looking for salvation, but God never gave up on you. He pursued you. God likely sent someone in your life that preached the gospel, preached the word to your heart, or shared their testimony, and gave you the invitation to know Jesus, and you said yes. You finally opened up your heart, uh, and that's the love, and that's the grace of God I want to talk about today. Um, Isaiah 52 in, in Romans 10, 15 says, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. Someone in your life likely came and preached the good news to you where you finally said yes. Now he sends his word out that would open the hearts and we then accepted his love, we accepted his forgiveness and we repent and we turn and put our faith in him and hopefully we'll spend the rest of our lives ourselves telling about that good news that Dr. Dan was talking about today and sharing this message of this gospel to the world around us and it never gets old to me, and I hope and pray that it doesn't get old to you either, that you, share, you always want to share about Jesus with people around you. Now, as we read in chapter 11, we'll see that God does not give up on Israel either. We're going to read that, and it says in 10 verse 31, uh, it says, But Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedi disobedient and contrary people. And so that brings up the question, it says, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected Israel? Absolutely not. There is still, he describes, a remnant of grace, and we'll read about that as well. Much of Israel has not accepted Jesus as the Messiah, uh, but, or that salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. But there's still many that have. There are many uh, Israelites that have said yes to Jesus, Jewish people and God's people, the Israelites have for the most part hardened their heart and rejected the gospel, but this has opened up for those who are not God's people or the Gentiles, who are not God's people to be saved. And then it says grafted into full inclusion that we'll read about in these uh, first few verses in chapter 11. I'll just read out of this Bible if you want to follow along um, for the first 10 verses here. It says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. 
Do you know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God for Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to attain what, was, uh, what it was seeking. Uh, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. And as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Let's pray. God, we just ask that you may show us, give us a revelation of what this means to not only your people, but to us, Lord, as we were not your people. But you have extended your love and grace to us all, and Lord, we're thankful for that. God, we may continually have our eyes open to see the element of your grace and that we have been included, we have been grafted in. And we are forever thankful for that, Lord. But may it be that we not only just take that for ourselves, but God, that we would forever be reminded to be a light, to be a witness of our own testimony to the world, and especially to the people as we lift them up of Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one is that God has not rejected his people. He has never given up on his people whom he foreknew. There was a time, or was there a time in your own life where you were hardened to the gospel? I was hardened to the gospel. And I didn't want to have anything to do with that, that... Um, you know, even growing up in church, you know, yes, we went to church when I was a child, but it doesn't mean that I was really wanting to live for Jesus. Big difference between going to church or even having to go to church <laughs> as a kid and actually making that personal decision for myself until I was a teenager. Uh, and I had a loving mother that really encouraged me to know Jesus like she knew Jesus. And so that's part of my testimony that I finally did. I finally did find Jesus is real. He's not just uh, a story in the Bible. He's not just a religion. He is a personal loving God that wants you to know him too. And so maybe there's a time in your life that you were hardened. You didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus either. Uh, and we just read about this about Israel we just read that there has been a partial hardening, it says, until all the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, Paul knew he was one of them. He said, I'm, of the, I'm an Israelite. I'm the tribe of Benjamin. I was one of those people that was hardened. I, did, I rejected God too. Or he thought he was doing God's work as an Israelite, as a Pharisee of Pharisees who was described as. He was actually going after and killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians and then we read in Acts 9 how he had a radical conversion, right? On that road to Damascus, you know, Jesus uh, spoke from heaven and said, why are you persecuting me? And he was, <laughs> he literally was blinded for a, a few days until 
He was, Ananias prayed for him and the scales fell from his eyes and he received the healing. But most of all, he was saved at that moment. Where he thought he was a saved Israelite, now he really was saved. He was like a radical conversion on that road. So Paul understood this hardening where he had been. He had rejected the Messiah as Jesus too. I was one of those. And he was part of that, but now he could say, I'm part of the remnant. I'm part of this remnant. Um, and so he was called by God now to then go to the Gentiles. I, I, I have a new calling. I have to go to the Gentiles and reach them. And much of his people wanted to kill him for it. And they tried. <laughs> but uh, and even though many Jews continued to reject the gospel, Paul and the other apostles they preached, uh, they preached to what there was this remnant of grace um, for some that did accept it. Those that did, both Jew and Gentile. Now for many, even to this day, accepting Jesus is more than just raising your hand. It's more than just bowing your head and saying a sinner's prayer. That's important, but coming to the altar, you know, uh, or doing any of those things, their faith meant they knew the cost. They knew I could literally die for this. I, you know, I could die physically for this. And so there are people in this world today still that know that if they say yes to Jesus, they will probably be, uh, they have to risk their lives. It could cost them their lives. Or at least rejected by their family. You know, that's where a lot of people are at in this world. I don't want to say yes to Jesus because... I know my family will reject me. I don't want to do that. And so there's a part of some people in this world that know if I say yes to Jesus, it's, gonna, it's a great risk. But shouldn't we all? Shouldn't we all see that? Because whether things are good or bad in our country, that I'm never going to stay, I'm never going to reject or renounce my faith. I'm never going to walk away. I'm not, I know there's a cost. And there will be a persecution. There will be rejection of friends and family and so on. But there's a remnant of grace, again, for those that accept it. And we have to know that God will always give us grace to go through what we're going through, even if we're in the midst of persecution or rejection. And for many, you know, we have to understand there, there, there's always a cost to following Jesus, isn't there? There should be. Paul mentions the story of Elijah who was discouraged by the rejection of the people of Israel. And Elijah was so discouraged, he even pleaded with God against his own people. He, was pleading, he said, you know, they have rejected you, God. They, you know, I am the only one left. And this is when, when Elijah was fleeing for his life and Jezebel was coming after him. And, and he was hiding and he was discouraged and he was depressed at the time. And so God actually spoke to him and said, no, you're not the only one, Elijah. I've saved 7,000 others that have not bowed their knee to Baal like yourself. And so maybe even that number might seem insignificant, seem small, but for that was a, a word of, you might say, encouragement to Elijah. You're not the only one. Even though it seems like, and there's a lot of lonely days at times, where we stand alone in our faith, or we seem like we're standing alone in our faith, but we can know there are there is a remnant of believers along with us. 
There are people that say, no, I'm not ever going to bow my knee to an idol. I'm never going to surrender my faith. Then Paul mentions, or he says that at the present time, there is a remnant as he was one. We can often think that God needs a lot of people to do a great work, but he often works through a small group, doesn't he? He can do great things through a small group of people. Even if it starts out small. And I can honestly say that about this church as well, Polson Foursquare. Since, it's, uh, since October of 1991, 32 years ago, that this church was planted, uh, we've made a significant difference in this world. Maybe you don't all know that, but how we've, how we've been a blessing to our community in different ways over the years. We've also supported multiple missionaries Ministries, outreaches, we actually helped plant two different churches, one in Malaysia and one in Costa Rica. That's pretty cool. There's actually people that we planted churches around the world. And my prayer is that in, in, you know, through our prayer, through our financial support, through some of you that have actually gone to some of these places, has led to the salvation of hundreds of of people here, near, and far. And I hope that we will, though we will never know this side of heaven, the complete effect. That is awesome. That's worth a hallelujah, praise the Lord, if you ask me. That is awesome. How many lives have been saved or changed? I don't know. But number two, God chooses a remnant by his grace. And the remnant of Elijah's day wasn't just the number as much as it was to show the uh, permanence of God's grace and plan for his people. God is a keeper of his promises. He absolutely is. He's a keeper of his promises, and we know we can trust in him. And it says in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 20, it talks about the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Yes and amen. We can always trust in God. He is a keeper of his promises. That's why maybe a lot of, like a lot of you, you have life verses. I have memory verses. I have verses that this is, I keep on remembering. I put them on my, as Mike Freeman will say, your refrigerator magnet moment. You know, the, the, you need those refrigerator magnets, you know, with that scripture on there. Maybe it's uh, on a post-it note somewhere. I keep those scriptures or those reminders, but more, more than anything, it's not just carrying your Bible around, it's actually your word in us. They might be able to burn these, they might be able to take, this, take these from us, but they can never take away the word that's planted in you, right? They can't, they can't do that. And so as you see in other countries, and especially in, in, in underground churches such as in China or North Korea and, and some of these places, and I've been in, in an underground church once before. They knew they were risking their life to be there, and they memorized books of the Bible by heart. And if they even have a Bible, which is rare in a lot of places, they'll, they'll pass it on. They'll tear out parts of the Bible and pass it along so they'll all memorize it because they can never take away the Word of God in you. And that's what we have to remember. Keep, keep these promises as life and, and uh, truth for us. We need that every day. 
God is a keeper of his promises. And he did then and does to this day keep a remnant of his people. In verses 5 and 6, what we read, Paul gave a simple reminder of God's grace. It is not by works, otherwise it would not be grace, right? If salvation was by works, then it wouldn't be grace. And it would be something that we always have to strive to to earn, or I have to keep doing more and more and more. I have to be a good person. I have to do so many acts of charity. I have to give. I have to do all this stuff. And that's what we see in a lot of religion. But also, where do we find Paul talking about this? In Ephesians chapter 2, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, I want to read a portion of that. 2, verse 1 through 9, it says, And you were, this is how you were, used to be, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, power of the air, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among all, whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So we were not a people of God. We were, as it says, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. This is where I used to be. He raised us up, and I don't get it. I don't understand it completely. We're seated with him in the heavenly realms. Huh? we're, We're caught up together in heaven even though we're still present here. God is with us. His presence is here. It's not just some, you know, thought of, you know, him off in the universe somewhere. He's in you. His spirit lives in you. He's raised you up now. You're a child of God. And it has nothing to do with what you did to earn it. It has everything to do with his grace. So Paul says that there is... There are some or there's a remnant of Israel that has accepted and has received this grace. There is a remnant. And like we all have, uh, and to others he gave them, it says, a spirit of stupor. Um, Don't call people that if you don't, you know. (laughs) But it says, they are blind to the truth. And like many of us in this room, we were once blind, but now we see, right? Right? The old hymn, Amazing Grace. Like a couple weeks ago, I, uh, I had to, I, I'm thankful, I, I had to renew my eye prescription so I, to get my glasses and, and lenses changed out. And the, the doctor was checking my eyes and putting in my prescription and stuff, and she's adjusting it, which one sees clearer, you know, and do all that. And, and then when she's finally done, she goes, you're actually a plus instead of a negative now. You actually improved a little bit since your last prescription. I'm like, cool. <laughs> That's rare. You know, you, everything else is falling apart. But I mean, hey, my eyes improved a little bit. Hey, you know, I'll take it. 
<laughs> I was once blind, but now I see. You know, I see a little, see a little more clearly. <laughs> uh, I don't think most of us know what this means entirely. We are saved by grace, and it is a free gift of God. And it, then it says, but there's many that were hardened. Paul says, the elect have obtained it. The rest were hardened. And the elect among Israel received. They, they responded to the mercy. They responded to the grace of God. But the rest were hardened by their rejection. And it is no different really than any of us. We are given this free gift and we can accept it or we can reject it. We can receive this gift of God's mercy or we can reject it and say, no, I don't want that. Maybe it's because we have yet to come to the end of ourself. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, it's a powerful picture of the narrow road we will hopefully all choose to walk on. Enter through the narrow gate, he says. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, I don't think this, this, uh, this narrow road is describing God's grace. No. I believe God's grace is immeasurable. It's huge for us. On the other hand, the life we choose to live is either the narrow road or the wide path we choose to walk on. If we choose to walk on the path that, uh, and not choose Jesus, that is the wide road. You know, the pleasures of the world, the, the, you know, all these things. And, and we hear it, uh, a lot of false teachings out there that many roads lead to the same place. You know, I can just believe anything I want. That's not what Jesus said. The choice to have faith or not is yours, but there's only one real right path. And Jesus made it clear that he is the door. He is the gate. He is the good shepherd. He is the way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He made that clear, didn't he, in John? To some, this may sound too easy. It just sounds too easy just to accept Jesus like that. Because it really is. But to those who have faith, it is everything. That is my everything. And I pray that you, but we have to realize that this world is not my eternal home. This world is not my everything. I don't want to just live for this time in my, my existence. I want to live for eternity more than just for the temporary and I pray that you will want to live for more for eternity and on the narrow road than for the temporary and the world God gives us to live in. But this world he gives us to live in is where we make our eternal choice. I don't want to sound like our present life is not important. It is very important and it should be our life's highest calling like YWAM's motto says to know Christ and to make him known. I like that motto. I want to live by that too. We live to know him and becoming like Jesus so that we may become living examples of God's love, of his grace, that we are blind, we, are, we were hardened, so that we may also um, be led to those that need to see 
that are blind to those things, that they may see and believe. Quotations Paul makes from Isaiah 20, chapter 29 and Psalm 69 tell us that God gave them this uh, spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, and, and, uh, and so he can also say, let their eyes be darkened, or he can say, let their eyes be open as he pleases. Now, this may be hard for us to grasp, hard for us to understand this completely. I still don't. The Jews of Paul's day were so secure. And what were they secure in? They were secure in uh, the very idea of being God's chosen people, the very idea that is, that's the very idea that, that perhaps ruined them also. Their security was in being God's people or the Israelites, much like people can do with religion. But religion or education or money or power or being good or anything else cannot save you, can it? No, just because I go to church doesn't mean that you are a Christ follower. It doesn't mean that. Just like sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? <laughs> it doesn't. Likewise, Paul said, Israel's stumbling and fall has now opened up salvation for those who were not God's people, the Israelites. After Jesus' death and as a, in his resurrection and his ascension, we read in, in, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2 came the day of Pentecost, right? And the coming of the Holy Spirit. And from that day, the church started. The church was birthed on that very day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit baptized believers with fire to empower them to go out and to be witnesses and do what they could not do on their own. He knows that we are incapable of doing things on his own. And so he instructed the disciples, don't do anything yet. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so his Holy Spirit now lives in believers to go and to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations and be accompanied with signs and wonders and manifestations of God's love and, and his presence and power wherever we go. We should all remember that. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God goes with you. You can affect the atmosphere around you for the good or for the bad. There's a lot of Christians that still live carnal lives. They're not living by the Spirit, so we then, even after having the Spirit live within us, we still have to make a choice. I, my choice is, do I still continue to live in my fleshly, soulish ways, or do I live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit? Like he says, that's the only way you're going to get the fruit of the Spirit. That's the only way you're going to have that evidenced in your life. But we need the help of the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us every day and discover the truth of his word speaking into our lives. He'll guide you into all truth. He wants to release his gifts in you. So it's important that we discover and use those things. And lastly, God's gift and calling is irrevocable. That is important. I wanna, we're going to read that in a moment. But God's love and his plan for Israel still endures. God has specific purposes to fulfill, allowing Israel to stumble. He allowed that so salvation would come to the Gentiles. And Paul has shown that God is still working through a remnant of Israel today, but wants to make it clear that the sinning majority of Israel is not lost forever. 
It wasn't that the Jewish rejection of Jesus as Messiah caused Gentiles to be saved. It merely gave the opportunity then for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. And many Gentiles heard it and responded to it and now have been uh, grafted in. Has anyone ever grafted in branches of a fruit tree before? Anyone ever done that successfully? You have? Oh, yeah, you work in a nursery, so <laughs> that's right. You're successful. I mean, I, it's really cool what they can do with fruit trees and cherry trees and apple trees, and they graft in the, you know, of course, this is talking about an olive branch, but, you know, it's cool that they can have, you know, golden delicious and, and red delicious and, you know, honey, whatever. Honey, honey thank you. <laughs> um, oh, Andrew helped plant a honey crisp tree uh, for me, like, I think it's probably eight years ago. And it's still only about this tall. <laughs> Maybe I need to water it more, but I got five apples out of it this year. Yay! <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but I've never grafted anything in before. I've seen it, and uh, I don't know. I probably I would probably fail miserably. But this is the picture that we have been grafted into the tree. We're not the part of the original tree, but we're, we're grafted in. And this, that's a beautiful uh, picture that God uses in this. Um, and so we have received the gospel. We have received those things. Uh, and so the last couple weeks at the men's Bible study on Friday nights, if you ever want to join them, join us, that is, uh, the bakery, I thank Mike for opening up the bakery and leading us in that. Uh, we just started reading a couple weeks ago in Hosea. Uh, Hosea is an interesting uh, book, isn't it? The book, the whole picture in this book of Hosea is God's love to the people of God who have rejected him, right? And Hosea was instructed by God to marry Gomer, this prostitute, and love her even though she continued to sin and commit adultery and worship Baals and other things. He said, love her, go after her, pursue her, don't give up on her. And so this is a beautiful picture of God's love pursuing us, right? Never giving up on us. This pursuit of loving someone that was ungodly is a beautiful metaphor of our own sin, of our own rejection, and God loving us even while we are yet sinners, it says in Romans chapter 5, right? We didn't go after God. It says, the Bible says we were enemies of God. But God came after us. Let's continue on and continue reading on. Starting in verse 11, it says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. Some of them, for their rejection means the reconciliation of the world. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as fruit first is holy, so the whole lump, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. 
But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, as though, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. And then you, uh, then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They are broken off but because, uh, because of their unbelief, but you will stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the then kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will those natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, that a partial hardening has come to the Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then in, the, uh, the, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And will be, this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as for regards election, they are loved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. This is really an uh, interesting passage in here that we're continue reading. Um, but we must remember that God, the rejection of Israel has made it possible for us all to be included because of this. I don't ever take that for granted. I don't ever just go, you know, well, you know, the... The Jews are lost cause. No, that's not true at all. Israel's rejection has made us possible for us all to be grafted in. And so the Jewish uh, rejection of Jesus has made it a, into a blessing for you. But Paul says, consider how great a blessing their acceptance of Jesus will be. It is going to be a blessing because there will be a time where he said, I will then open their eyes. And there is a, a fulfillment of prophecy even to this day that Israelites are coming to faith in Jesus. Paul's referral of the first fruits probably represents uh, the first Christians, the first Jewish Christians. Uh, their conversion was described as something holy and good because after all, the apostles, right, they were all Jewish, now converted Christians. And so God used them as the writers of scriptures uh, were all Jewish. So if the conversion of the first fruits was good and holy, uh, it was good and holy so that the Gentiles might be led to Jesus. How much better, it says, will be when the complete harvest is brought in. It's going to be incredible. So with this picture 
of the tree and the branches, Paul reminds the Gentile Christians that it is only by God's grace that they can be grafted into the tree of God. I am grafting you in. Um, it's, you know, the whole process of grafting in trees, even grafting in skin, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting process of something that was not natural has now become in part, you know, becomes part of that tree or, be, you know, how many of you have ever had skin grafts before? You know, you've had to, sometimes, uh, like my father-in-law, he had, I think it was horse something, collagen, that, cow, cow, <laughs> you know, they, they, they cut out a uh, spot on his head and, and put cow collagen in it, now he's part cow, I guess, but, um, <laughs> yeah, same thing with pig valves, you know, you just kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting how they can use parts of animals. Uh, to be grafted in, if you will, <laughs> and used for our good. But uh, he's talking about here, be careful. Be careful that you don't get prideful about this. Don't get prideful about your standing with God. Don't become arrogant. Don't boast about being a part of the branches. It says, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. For the Gentile to think of themselves as superior to the Jews, Paul also reminds them that the, the root supports the branches, not the other way around. And because of unbelief, because of their unbelief, uh, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. And so in addition, any Gentile standing in the tree of God, they're, they're there by faith only. You're only there by faith, not by works, not by merits. And if Gentiles are unbelieving, it says you too can be cut off. Be careful. So Paul stresses the need to consider the goodness of God, but also consider the severity of God. We need to have a respect and holy reverence for God and thank him for his gift of mercy and love and forgiveness. But there also needs to be a holy fear of God, doesn't there? We sometimes forget that. We would not sin so much if we actually feared God, would we? I think we would question before we do... Uh, a lot of stuff we could, we're tempted to do. No, God sees, he knows everything, I don't want to do that. It's not that we have to think of God as the Godfather, going to thump you or <laughs> take you out, but that, you know, we can know God is the loving Heavenly Father. He absolutely does want us to know that, but I also have a respect, a reverence for God, because the day we stand before him, and we all will, and give an account of our lives, I think we're going to be flat on our faces before God in reverence because of the holiness of God. Paul stresses that need to consider those things, the goodness and the severity of God, continuing then to live in God's grace. I live in God's grace and kindness towards us. But I also remember I need to remain with him. Just as John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciple, and he said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You must remain in the vine. I love that passage. And so just as that was talking similarly about this, abiding, remaining in the vine, apart from him, we can't do anything. So it's a picture that we need to continually be in relationship with God. And abiding with Jesus, the vine or the tree. And so this is important that we know that our belief in Jesus must remain uh, continual for our lifetime. 
We don't just believe once. John, or Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it tells us if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart Jesus Christ as Lord, you will be saved. That word believe in that passage, in the original language, is actually a present tense believing. It's not I had believed as in a past tense sense. I believed, but it means I continue for my lifetime to believe. And that's important for us to know. It's a continuation, not just a one-time thing. If we later in life sin or later on in life we, we say, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. This is a reference of potential apostasy. Now, now then, do we ever have to fear losing our salvation? And I want to say no. We don't have to lose our worry about that I might wake up tomorrow and I lost it. There is an absolute security for the believer, and we need to know that. For the believer that continues believing. And you cannot misplace your salvation. I don't even like that term because it's, you can't misplace salvation. I can't just, oh, I lost it. Um, now, this is a major point of contention among many believers and Bible scholars that you don't have to wonder if you're going to lose your salvation. The point Paul makes here is that believers remain and continue believing and should never renounce and absolutely should never reject their faith. Renouncing and rejection are a whole different thing. And there is biblical evidence, such as here in Romans 11, of apostasy or a rejection and falling away. That's another day. But rejection and apostasy of Israel's unbelief has made a way, it says, for the Gentiles now to be grafted in. But God is able to graft Israel back in again, it says. I am. There will be a day. And evidently some Gentile believers were tempted to think that there was no future for Israel. She had rejected the gospel and had now had been passed on to the Gentiles and Israel was finished and rejected and cast off and God has now chosen the Gentiles only. But that kind of pride, Paul wanted to nip in the bud. <laughs> he wanted to correct that. And so he says, how much more will those who are the natural branches going to be grafted back into the olive tree? If Gentiles seem to graft into uh, God's tree easily, we know it won't be hard for God to graft in the natural branches the tree. So we can assume that the natural branches will have the potential then to bear even more fruit. And God's plan for Israel includes the, their eventual restoration. And we read that in verses 25 through 27. Paul said he didn't want these Gentiles to be unaware. Don't be unaware of this mystery of the partial hardening of Israel. The promise that all Israel will be saved. It says the deliverer will come from Zion. And he will banish godliness from Jacob. And this will be the covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, this also doesn't mean that there will be a time when every last person of Jewish descent will be saved. Instead, this means that this is a time when Israel as a whole will be a saved people. And when that nation as a whole, especially its leadership embraces Jesus Christ as Messiah. Even the apostasy of Israel did not extend to every Jew either. 
So the salvation of Israel will not extend to every last Jew. But God's love and his calling for God still endures. And he says, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He still loves them. He's still going after them. He still pursues them. Even though it seemed in Paul's day the Jews were enemies of God and were against Jesus, they are still God's beloved. If for no other reason than for the sake of their forefathers, because God is a keeper of his promises, and he promised to Abraham, right? Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He said, I am a keeper of that covenant I made with Abraham. And it still continues that we are now considered children of Abraham by faith. We are part of that. But because of the forefathers, because of the patriarchs of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Elijah. And God is calling gifts and his gifts and his calling are irrevocable. He is a keeper of his promises and his covenant. This is another reason why God hasn't given up on the nation of Israel. And this principle, and it's amazing that if you look on the map of Israel, it's just a small sliver, isn't it? And it's surrounded by enemies. You know, you're just like, how come it hasn't been annihilated a long time ago? Because God's hand of protection is on that land and on those people. And so this is another, you know, God has not given up on them. And this principle stated by Paul comforts us far beyond its direct relevance to Israel. It means that God will not give up on you. He will not give up on us either. And he continually leaves a path open for restoration. Even if there's been a time where you've... uh, Walked away from God. We can know that God can restore you back. And finally, from our reading in, in verses 30 and 32, Paul cautions the Gentile Christians to remember where they came from and where God has promised to take the Jewish people. These Gentile Christians came from disobedience, yet God showed them mercy. He reached out to them, even in their disobedience, and in part through the disobedience of Israel. And if God used the disobedience of Israel for the salvation and the good of the Gentiles, he can also use the mercy to show the Gentiles, uh, that he showed to the Gentiles, to the Israelites. God can turn around what is intended for evil into good, can he? He does that. Probably he's done it in your own life. God has committed or consigned them all to disobedience, it says, that he may have mercy on them all. And the idea that God has shut up both Jew and Gentile into this uh, custody, if you will, as lawbreakers, God now offers mercy to these prisoners based on the person and the work of Jesus for that we can never, ever repay. He paid for that with his blood. He took our place. And based on, the, on who Jesus is, we can still only humbly accept that. It's a gift. It's a gift to us. It's not something we ever can earn by being religious or doing good things. He took our place. He died a sinner's death that we deserve to receive a gift of mercy we didn't do anything to deserve. And we can only receive it. We can only receive it, and as I receive it, I receive it 
It changes me so that I can show it to someone else. I can be a living example of his love and his grace the rest of my life so that God may lead me to someone at some point in some time. It doesn't have to be up here on the stage. Most of the time of our life, it's the person next to you in the job. It might be wherever you're at, in the grocery store. It could be in school. It could be anywhere you are. God gives you opportunity because he calls you all as full-time ministers. Not just vocational ministers. You're all full-time representations of his love and his grace. And the story or the testimony is, it says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, the testimony of Jesus is as the spirit of prophecy, that whenever you speak your testimony, it's a prophetic word being declared into someone else's life so that they may also say yes to Jesus by, because of the words that you share with them. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we can only receive God's love and give it away so they may also open their hearts to him and turn from their own sin and unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, if there's anyone here today or perhaps even watching uh, this message online that has never yet said yes to you, that we don't ever take it for granted, Lord, that because of Israel's unbelief, we are given the opportunity to be grafted into the tree. We're wild. We're the wild olive shoot. But you're saying that we can be grafted in by faith, by accepting this gift. It is the time of the Gentiles. But we also pray for Israel. We pray, God, that you would bless the nation of Israel. God, we pray that there will be a day, and even today, Lord, that there would be salvation for your people. God, we just ask that you may use us wherever we go to be a witness for you. Lord, I ask that if anyone here today doesn't have the assurance of their salvation, that we could simply believe in what you did on the cross, believe in your word, that you accomplished it for me. And God, I am forever thankful. I am forever thankful and I receive this gift of your forgiveness. I turn from my sinful ways and I want to follow you the rest of my life. And not only for this present time, but also for all eternity. That I may live more for eternity than just for this temporary place in which you called us to live. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you say yes to Jesus and you want just, I encourage you to tell someone. Tell me, tell somebody. I said yes to Jesus. I made that recommitment to Jesus today. I want to follow him. And I'd love to just uh, pray with you. If you want a Bible, we'll, we have lots about, take one of these. <laughs> but God bless you. Have a blessed day. If you could stay, we'd love to have you stay to hear about children's ministry and how you can, we even have food. We do. We have some food. So stick around. So God bless you. Have a blessed week. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Polson Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.